0: Artificial intelligence is here. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Daniel Lopez. This is the AI Education Conversation, where we explore the opportunities, risks, and the impacts of AI across education. Let's jump in. What's up, everyone? I'm excited to jump into another great week featuring my conversation with Corinne Hoisington. Professor of Information Systems Technology at Central Virginia Community College. Corinne also travels 200,000 miles a year providing keynotes on topics in technology and has authored over 30 books with Cengage Learning on Outlook, Office, Windows 10, and many other technological topics. With her deep experiences in career and technical education and her learnings in AI, Corinne has so much to share with us about how AI will impact the educational experience. As always, before I jump into my conversation with Corinne, let's jump into some AI updates. Much of my conversation with Corinne today is actually going to focus on the future of work. So in the spirit of this, I thought I'd share an update on the future of work for added context and perspectives before we enter this conversation. wanted to share this report, this very interesting report I found by Microsoft. They recently, recently released a work trend report titled, Will AI Fix Work? This report releases findings based on survey data of 31,000 full-time and self-employed workers in 31 different countries. The roles of the workers range from business leaders and decision-makers to employees to managers. In the report, they found three key findings that might be actually very helpful context as we think as, to, as we think about how the workplace landscape will continue to adapt in a world with AI. Now the first key finding they found Digital debt is costing us innovation. Now, when I'm talking about digital debt, what do I mean by that? This statistic may help to put that into perspective a little bit. What Microsoft found is that people spend 57% of their day in communication versus creation. And what they mean by communication is that people are spending the majority of their day in meetings, writing emails, doing Zooms, on Slack, right on Microsoft Teams, any of those types of tools versus doing actual work, actual creating of things in PowerPoint, in documents, wherever they're doing the actual creation. They, as they surveyed people more specifically, and they tried to unpack some of the challenges that people were having here, these were some of the very specific key f- findings they found based on survey respondent perspectives as well. They found that most people were stating that they were having too many meetings, they were having inefficient meetings. And that it wasn't very easy to find information right across many of the information channels that they may have that exist there. High level, when I see this point, I got to say, I mean, it it resonates resonates on the education side of this work as well. When I think about some of the experiences that my schools are having, that my students are having, I think this, this idea of digital debt costing us innovation, costing us just time to be able to create, to do work, definitely resonates. Specifically, when I'm thinking about this experience, the, the one of the, the key moments on a student's journey that really came to mind, and I know that this is really going to resonate with a lot of our counselors out there, is the uh, summer transition for students who have just graduated from high school and are going on to college or their post-secondary option uh, that they've decided with after they've graduated here. And during this summertime, there's a very, uh, very common phenomenon in education called summer melt. What summer melt means is it's this period of time where unfortunately there may be students who have declared that they're gonna to go to a specific institution, maybe have already decided to enroll, pay their enrollment, deposit any of those things. And then we find that over the summer, there is you know, a, a cohort of students who may ultimately like melt from actually going to the option that they said that they were gonna to go to, right? Which is why they call it summer melt. It's very unfortunate that that happens. Part of the reasons why it happens is as you can imagine, during the summer, there there may not be that ongoing support that students will have had as they had during the school year, where they're checking in with the counselor or a teacher that they care about or some other uh, coach on a daily basis or multiple times a week like they were during the high school period. There's also other challenges related to that. And I would say one of the biggest challenges is that oftentimes on from post-secondary institutions, one of their biggest ways that they continue to communicate to students is through email. And oftentimes... If you're at a post-secondary institution that has, let's say, 50 different departments or you have multiple different departments doing different things, right? You have your student uh, accounting of, uh, department, then you have like some cultural center department, then you have your academic departments, then you have some other ones. And students are getting a bunch of different emails from all these different departments. It can easily become very overwhelming to understand what you have to do at what time and when. And so this is just like one example that comes to mind for me. But I know that students very much as well are uh, prone to this experience where they're having to engage so frequently in communicating, whether it is through email or other channels, and they're not, they're just not getting time to create. They're not getting time to actually do work and, and finish things there. And it can have a, an impact on their overall experience as well. So that was the first point they made that digital debt is continuing to cost us innovation. Second point they made, there's a new alliance between AI and employees. Oftentimes in the media, oftentimes on social media as well, and other forms of you know, communication here, one common point that I, that I've seen a, a couple of folks continue to engage with is this idea that AI is going to replace jobs. That may be true, and we I think we are still trying to figure out what industries and what ways AI is going to impact our workforce. But within this specific report, what they found is that most people are actually very excited to use AI to make their jobs easier rather than fearing that AI was going to take their jobs. Over three-fourths of survey respondents said that they would use AI on a multitude of work-type tasks, things such as very administrative-type tasks to very creative-type tasks to very analytical-type tasks. Looking at the decision-makers and the business leaders that were surveyed on this, they actually found as well when they asked them what is the thing that you're most prioritizing as it relates to increasing value for your company, what they actually found is that business leaders were most focused on using AI to increase employee productivity, not reducing headcount. So again, a high level, I think what this means is that we're on a position where we want to do right by our people. We want to be able to use AI tools to make our businesses, make our organizations more competitive, increase the productivity, but not all of it is leading to reducing headcount. That being said, again, this could change over time. I think one of the best things we could all continue to do is to make sure that we are learning how these AI tools work, learning how we can really apply them. Um, and then again, continuing to just monitor the market and understand how these things are going to take an impact if they more significantly disrupt any industries out there beyond uh, just increasing employee productivity. The last thing that this report's find the third key finding They found that every employee does need to have AI aptitude. This, I think, is very helpful to think about as we think about a world where we want our students to be successful. We want them to be able to successfully adapt to the world that they will inherit. And to do so may actually require us to fundamentally change or transform or reorganize the types of skills, the types of information that we prioritize in teaching our students in the classroom. So let's see what this report has to say. They closed their report with this third point by asking respondents what skills will be most essential for employees to learn to evolve to potential changes with AI. There were six skills that they elevated here with varying degrees of percentages that came with it that folks voted on. The highest skill that was voted on with 30% of folks saying that uh, you know respondents or or employees are going to need these skills to evolve was analytical judgment. The second at 29% was flexibility. The third, at 27%, was emotional intelligence. The fourth, at 24%, was creative evaluation. The fifth, at 23%, was intellectual curiosity. And the last, at 22%, was bias detection. What I find very interesting about all six of these skills, analytical judgment, flexibility, emotional intelligence, creative evaluation, intellectual curiosity, bias detection, is that oftentimes you know a, a lot of those are go beyond information, right? And what I find, what I continue to find so interesting about the way that we've organized our educational system, in particular the way that we test students, is so much of that is based on information, right? It's based on having um, a deep understanding of knowledge related to, let's say, history or related to math or some of these things or related to English and and specific knowledge on books or things like that. Less of it is related on these types of skills, which are actually, which again, we're seeing very clearly here from a large pool of employees on types of skills that they may need, that students may need to successfully navigate the uh, workforce. In particular, I think that the way the education system is set up, when I'm looking at number two and number three, this flexibility and emotional intelligence, I do think that less of our system today is equipping students with very intentional systematic experiences to learn how to become flexible, right? To learn how to do that well, to learn when life throws you very difficult uh, obstacles or when you have a monkey wrench in your project, how do you flex out of that? How do you flex into a world where things may not uh, be a streamlined path towards success or a streamlined path from A to Z on a specific project? And then definitely on the emotional intelligence side, I think as we've seen and as I've, I've talked about on prior episodes, I think that we continue to create an individualized experience. And obviously over the last three years, looking at the pandemic and entering this year, Some of that was not uh, self-induced. Some of it was just responding to the climate of the world. But emotional intelligence, I think there's so much work to do there for our students as it relates to really supporting them with emotional intelligence, supporting them to work as a team, helping them to develop social emotional skills that are going to allow them to be successful in the world upon graduation. So, this is a very helpful, I think, list of skills for me. I think some of these do align with uh, some of the skills that I talked about in episode three, which again continues to be uh, an episode that a lot of resonate with a lot of folks around in a world of AI, what should be some of the skills that we're teaching some of our young folks. But at a high level, what I'm taking away from this point is, you know, if one of the largest companies in the world that has surveyed over 31,000 workers in the world is saying, these are the skills we need, we were going to need to evolve into the workforce force. For I think my next question is, how are we positioning schools and classrooms to sharpen these skills for our students? So I'll share this full report in my show notes, as I always do if you have any questions or if you want to check out the full report there. That being said, let's jump into my conversation here with Corinne. I and others have spent much time over the last few months here talking about hyper-practical uses for AI that we can all implement over the coming months as we enter a new school year. Beyond this, though, I do also think it becomes important for us to look at our vision for educating young people to see if it's still aligned in a world with AI, right? We have, to, we have to sometimes spend our time in the weeds looking at the next couple of weeks. Sometimes, though, we also have to look at those North Stars and say, hey, are we actually driving down uh, the right path to hit some of the vision pieces that we said are important to us? And I think at this particular moment, it feels like a really important time to also have those philosophical conversations around if our vision for education is still aligned with the with this techno technological revolution that we've appeared to have over the last few months here. So from my perspective, you know, one piece I continue to think about is how the workforce might change in a world with AI and what that is going to mean for how we should be setting up schools. There's so much to unpack here, but I do think that Corinne's expertise in CTE and technology and her experiences and education in particular as a practitioner get us closer to understanding how the future of work might look different. If you or your organization is interested in having Corinne come speak at an upcoming engagement, I'll also link her website in our show notes so that you can connect with her. As always, please let me know what you think about today's conversation at the AI Ed Combo on Twitter. Curiosity opens doors, connections build bridges, learning paves the way, humans are at the heart of AI education. I will see you all next week. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Professor Corinne Hoisington, welcome to the AI education conversation. Hey,
1: Daniel, let's let's roll.
0: I know. I to be honest, I feel a little bit ill prepared. I feel like at this point, based on some of the videos I watched, I should have played a song right now because I know in a lot of your intros, you're playing like some kind of anthem to get people hyped up. <laughs> but I didn't have Absolutely. that ready to go. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> we uh, well, let's kick it up anyway and dig right in.
0: Super. Well, um, again, thanks so much for your time. I know our paths crossed just based on you know me having an opportunity to just explore your profile on LinkedIn and learning so much about the great work that you're doing. I'm in particular very fascinated about some of the work that you're doing in the realm of CTE, talking about the future work, talking about these AI tools, and you know we'll be able to dig into a lot of that today. Uh, but first and foremost, I mean, before we go too deep, like. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you find your way in education? I know that you've been in you've been in the game for a long time. You know, in particular, supporting folks through through CTE education. And, um, you know how'd you get there?
1: Yeah, so grew up in Miami, Florida, or Florida. I am I'm the youngest of nine children. Uh, got the opportunity to go into math at the time. Let's face it, uh, computer technology. Uh, and when I started the game, it wasn't exactly where it is today, obviously. <laughs> so got into education, taught high school math uh, for quite some time, and then got into as computer technology started to gear up um, in the 90s and beyond. Um, now I'm a college professor in Virginia, Central Virginia Community College. But I have the platform and um opportunity to present worldwide. I usually do about 70, 80 worldwide cities uh, this month from Abu Dhabi to, oh, let's see, Toronto yesterday wow. and uh, heading to Iceland this weekend. You just never know. So now my platform is I write a lot of uh, textbooks, National Geographic's Engage Learning and Nelson and beyond and uh, on AI and Microsoft Office and what's happening in the technology game from coding and beyond. So now I just, we are at an interesting moment, Daniel, my goodness. Um, Here in my career path, this is, 2023 will go down in history as a moment in time where everything just changed, if you ask me. I mean, bigger than the PC, I know Bill Gates said that, but i I think uh we're at this huge turning point we've all made comments like this but this is a once in a lifetime moment i'm not sure educators realize it's as big but as they wrap their arms around it this next year i think they're gonna get the idea what do you think
0: i totally agree with you i mean i you know we were talking a little bit about uh you know how i started this podcast off here but i was so inspired by my first couple of experiences using chat GPT that, I mean, I created this podcast. And so that's how much like this experience motivated me to learn more, to want to share with Mm -hmm. folks in my community, because to your point, I, I not only believe that these tools have the capacity to be a tremendous force for good, but I also believe that it's critical that we get the educator voice and how these tools are developed, how they are implemented in schools. Um, and so you're absolutely right. From my perspective, I'm definitely in that camp as well. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, if you hold this perspective. How did, how did you come to this perspective? Like, what was your first experience using AI tools, and how are you thinking about it now?
1: Yeah, so artificial intelligence, uh, by definition, is when a computer starts to make its decisions on its own, and that can be discussed whether that's really happening or not just yet, but I still say please and thank you just in case they take over, right? Uh, so, yep, got to make uh, sure. You want to be in a good place. You never want to take over, you know... T- <laughs> get anyone upset that's going to take over the world, right? With AI, I don't know. But how did I get there? Well, you know, it's up to when I thought I came across the first AI piece. The first piece for me was starting to see things in the accessibility realm in education. I mean, seeing things, for example, you know, voice recognition, um, able to translate what I'm saying live in, well, a hundred different languages, being able to connect with students where they're hearing impaired or they are just needing a little extra boost that we can now level that playing field with so many accessibility tools immersive reader um, there's so many that are coming out there one of my favorite lately is present live with something like powerpoint where as i'm presenting live everyone on their smartphones can see what i'm saying Uh, they can respond they can also um, see different languages. I think accessibility is the key right now. And it's kind of personal for me. I'm, um, I grew up in, like I said, Miami, but I wasn't the gifted child. Uh, I had a, a speaking um, speech impediment all throughout lower grades. I was that spec ed kid. So if you ever thought I would be speaking to you, Daniel, in a podcast, that's going all over the place, I would have never guessed that. So, but being that special kid, I hated asking for assistance. If I had to stand out, I wasn't going to ask. So maybe that's why accessibility is a huge key to me, because I now see that if we use some of the accessibility tools in AI to personalize education, it's not just gonna help kids like I was, It's going to help level the playing field for everyone, because, for example, if we had closed captioning at the bottom right now, uh, we would be able to make sure that everyone's comprehension was increased because the tide rises for all. We just need to have these tools everywhere so that no one has to ask because I wasn't going to.
0: Yeah, totally. To your point, I mean, not, not only is there an opportunity with some of these AI tools to support all students, but in particular, some of them can really be differentiated to support students who need uh, even additional support, where, like as you mentioned through closed captioning, students who may have audio or visual uh, disabilities or any type of other needs, special needs. And yeah, very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Obviously, something that was an initial challenge for you, you've obviously turned into your superpower and made a made a vocation around it. So kudos to you for. Just having that growth and transformation. and I would imagine uh, to your point, I mean, I've had conversations also with other teachers out there and educators, and they've told me something similar, right, which is a lot of students. Ultimately, we want students to get to a point where they understand that asking for help is okay. And that's a good thing. You could do it. However, there are some times where students just don't feel comfortable doing that. And having accessibility, having like a tool that can provide the support without them having to put themselves out there is actually something that I think would be effective for a lot of students in this world of technology where students are so used to just navigating different types of technology in their day to day. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you've you've obviously are someone who's had a lot of experience using a lot of different, I mean, you just named like four AI tools. I've never even heard of before, to be honest. I'm like, I got to do my own research on some of these tools. So I know these tools have been, uh, you know, out much longer than even chat DPT and see some of these other things. But, you know, from your perspective, like with, with everything that has recently happened over the last six, eight months here, like, how are you thinking about AI now? Has there been any kind of evolution in your, your thinking, your philosophy based on uh, how these tools can impact the world or how, you know? drawbacks or things, anything based on that, based on like what has happened recently?
1: Yeah. Let me start with a quick story that I think a lot of your listeners can relate to. So it was end of semester. I'm teaching uh, some face-to-face, some online. And I had an online student have the conversation where we met on Zoom real quick and said, hey, you're, you're not progressing like I had hoped. Um, you know, the, you haven't turned in some work. How can I help? You know, we have all these different pieces plugged in. How can we move you forward? And she made a comment to me that, well, concerns me. She said, You know, I'm passing all my other college classes with flying colors. I said, mm-hmm. Oh, I said, How is mine different? I teach IT. And she said, Well, in the other classes, I'm totally harnessing ChatGPT to get all my work done. I can be done in minutes. I get my Mm -hmm. papers written, all of my multiple choice, fill in the blanks. I'm done. And I have straight A's. But your class, you're expecting me to think. And that's going to take a while. Wow. What a moment. So I sat there after that, and I've been watching what's happening with ChatGPT. And let me just make sure we're all on the same page listening to this. Not every teacher has had a moment. It's been a busy year. What we're talking about with ChatGPT and OpenAI, it's kind of like where we can take human-like text input and get a response back with a natural language that's really opening some amazing possibilities. So for example, I can simply say, write an essay about photosynthesis. That's 500 words, uh, let's say, on an eighth grade reading level and I can have it pumped right out. Now, as an educator harnessing that for my class, great. <laughs> but if students are, well, we hate to use the C word, right? Cheating, but <laughs> the deal is we wanna make sure that this tool helps everyone. That it doesn't, isn't used for the powers of not good in this case. So for example, if you want to try it out today, all you have to do is head to AI.com, create a free login. So we're talking free of charge. So which is really good. That means everyone can be a part of it. And you can start putting in something called a prompt. And the prompts today are could be uh, in any format. You know, you could ask for a list, a uh, number of words, bullet points, blog posts, campaign, even a hashtag, uh, a script an image, a guide, a table. The other day, I actually took a picture of the inside of my refrigerator. <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot there, but I did. <laughs> I put it in a chat GPT and said, hey, what could I cook tonight? I'm um, getting a little tight. <laughs> I'm the mother of six children, so hey, let's try it out here. And you know what? It gave me recipe after recipe that I honestly wouldn't have thought of. And yeah, I had everything to put it together. So that personal usage, academic usage, I mean, can you imagine I can now say something like um, provide a step-by-step guide about developing a business plan for um, technology in the classroom, including maybe a 10 key components in a bulleted list, useful resources, tips for success. I mean, to have that create, And we're not talking that it goes out to Google and grabs information that's really already out there. It constructs it from scratch, although it's learned from the internet. And each time I put in the same prompt, I get a different response. Remember my fridge? I put that picture up again because, yeah, same thing next day. And it gave me all different kinds of recipes. So this is really something. And now I can keep my audience in mind. So a fifth grade teacher can say, you know, write a paragraph um, about whatever from a 10 year old's point of view. So it would be a great way to teach someone or how with my audience, I could say something like, if I'm speaking to a caregiver for the elderly, how could I describe the Amazon Echo Alexa to them? You know, it's amazing because it can put words. Now, I'm a writer. I'm a teacher. I love the fact that I can construct a quick email recommendation for one of my students. Of course, I never put in private information because, well, that wouldn't be cool. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But I could describe that student. So I'm just seeing, you know, item after item. And this is crazy. When ChatGPT came out in the fall of 2022, Do you know that almost a million people downloaded it within the first week?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: No other technology has had that uptake that fast. So here we are where we can literally get something to write for us. We can even create a personalized, tailored academic tutor for a student. I mean, Now, if one of my ninth grade students is having trouble with fractions still, I can get ChatGPT to give a review of how to multiply, divide and reduce fractions step by step and then create a little, I don't know, a quiz to see if they're really getting it. I mean, when have we ever had a tool like this? And when I hear educators say, oh, it's just like Google on steroids, I'm like, "Um, no, (laughs) This is a leap in all of this. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think uh, for me that that last point you hit on is exactly where I I where I have been so motivated. I don't think it's just like Google. Um, it's when you when you use Google and you search a question, it's going to pull up a lot of pages and it's going to have a lot of specific key terms that it identified in your statement in five pages. And it sometimes those first three to five pages or, you know, the 10 pages on the first window may have 60% of what you're looking for. Right. It's not going to have all of what you're looking for. Most people I know, we ain't clicking to the second, third window to get those after that. We're looking at the first 10 links and if it's not there, then it's not there, right? In ChatGPT, the reason that it's different is it's going to be uh, much more, I think, close to like what you the the nuance within the question that you're asking right? And it's going to give you 80, 90% of what you want. Now, to your and the caveat that you were bringing up earlier, there is a veracity issue, depending on what you're asking. It's not always going to be 100% accurate, but it's going to at (laughs) least take the nuance of your question and try to deliver a more specific response to what you want. And what I have just found in education in particular, when I'm really thinking about practitioners, right? Folks in guidance, teachers, paraprofessionals, right? Uh, Special ed teachers, a lot of the, one of the, I think the biggest challenges today in being a teacher is just you're having to wear so many different mental, uh, just hats and you know, like everybody has like a mental bandwidth, right? So let's say over the course of the day, you have just the bandwidth to make 5,000 decisions. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, those decisions you're making on things are are on things that actually don't move the needle that much, right? Things as you described as, Oh, I have to like, grade a hundred of these papers and like use my mental bandwidth to think of these. I have to make some of these small decisions where I think chat GPT can really make the difference is helping with some of these like things that require a lot of band power, but now it takes some of the load off of you it put some on the technology. So now instead of having to construct an email from scratch, you're getting an email. Maybe you don't like the first sentence. So you briefly adjust it, you change that and then you send it. But overall, like it still did a lot of work for you. Um, and it, and it, and it made that decision process lighter. So instead of going home every day, feeling like your brain was microwaved and yeah, in in, in microwaves and just feeling like a, a shell of a person, you can actually go home and you can actually think about what you want for dinner. You can think about what you want to watch and you still have a little bit of brain power left to do that versus again, a lot of the folks I know doing teaching, they're just thinking so much that they don't, when they go home, they don't even want to think their brain is just totally in shutdown mode. And that's where I think that technology uh, can make such a big difference as, as you've described.
1: Yeah. And there's not a teacher out there that loves 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 to do the paperwork part and mm-hmm. all of that structure piece what most of us really are passionate about is really connecting with students what are new creative ways i can do that so now i can go to ChatGPT gpt as an educator and type in create a lesson plan on i'm doing um, in chemistry teaching about combining oh let's say nitric acid with, oh, who knows, um, hydrogen, and I want to come up with a compound, but can you show me some ways that I could make it in my lesson plan really connect with students? What are some examples in real life where this would occur? How would you use this in real life? What are some great questions I could use to really push the conversation? Um, I think with tools like this, if we really kind of master that, and I'm, I'm we're at this weird spot like New York Public City schools, um, Los Angeles public schools. Uh, I've recently talked with them and they're wanting to block chat GPT. And I said, OK, OK, uh, I with any new tool, I think we do need educational policies. But you have to understand right now, Google has really already created something called Google Bard, B-A-R-D, And by the way, if you go to bard.google.com, you can actually see ChatGPT housed alongside of Google's search engine and be able to superpower things. Uh, Microsoft's definitely do the same thing, or maybe they were first. (laughs) Um, Microsoft at bing.com forward slash new is actually showing, um, you know, different References of where they found the information, which I appreciate because I always love a good reference. So, if we're really, if those schools are really going to permanently shut this down, well, that means they would shut down all search engines. This is becoming infused, integrated. So, I think it behooves every school district right now to come up with a policy. But I don't think, in my opinion, shutting it down, I don't think we can put the genie in the box. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's a, it is a very complicated uh, matter. I know that I, in my previous episode, I had uh, Dr. Nako McGee, who's the chief academic officer come on and share her perspective. And, you know, the challenge for a lot of school districts, whether they're school district for 2000 kids or one for, you know, 50,000 plus students is there's just so much uh, liability that goes into these things, right? From the sure. MOUs to uh, the FERPA implications with students and all those things that have to be, uh, figured out. I think that the large companies who are able to create uh, chatbots or experiences that are aligned to federal regulations, such as FERPA, um, are going to be the best position to work with our schools in a way that is going to also protect our schools from the liability. Um, I recently saw that Google entered a partnership with the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic is, you know, one of the largest, like, sure. uh, kind of like medical think tank uh, hospitals in the country that does a lot of this work, and they created a chatbot with them that it was going to include a lot of their uh, information that was HIPAA compliant. And what I had just mentioned in that prior episode is that HIPAA in some ways is similar to FERPA in the sense that it's like very restrictive uh, privacy laws that protect, in that case, the patient, but in FERPA, in the case, the student, right? And so I do think Google seems to be positioning themselves pretty well to be able to partner with a lot of school districts and have, you know, a model or something that they can use that is actually going to meet the needs of schools. Um, but I do think it's very tricky. And I do think we've seen in the past historically that school districts who have privacy concerns or things, they are willing to, to not go with the future and actually sit in the way that things have been done in ways of the past if they have any fears that is going to cause harm for students. And I think yeah. ultimately with this type of technology, my opinion is it's a disservice to the students, right? And 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 what it's going to lead to is that there's going to be uh, very innovative schools across the country that are using this technology, their students are very, very prepared for the world they're about to inherit and they're doing it. Then there's going to be other school districts that are still doing uh, education in the, the way that we did in the 1990s and early 2000s. And they potentially are at risk of being left behind uh, based on like some of the systematic barriers there. Now, again, that's a, kind of a doomsday scenario, but I don't think totally implausible based on my experiences in schools and how uh, certain schools are going to be like more willing or less willing to jump in based on the amount of work it takes to figure it all out.
1: And I don't think um, in the big picture that as these students graduate and go on to the workforce, that they're going to remain competitive if they're not utilizing the same tools that everyone else in their field is using. So I think we can't just totally block it out. But absolutely, FERPA, all of these different policies need to be, you know, we need to keep student information at 100% private. So I totally get that. Um, but I, you know, now we're in this weird moment. Uh, at least in higher education, uh, the state of Virginia actually surveyed our students who were wanting to go on to any kind of higher education in the collegiate and university space, and you know, sixty percent of them want and prefer to now take a fully online environment. So mm. yeah, in the K twelve, we can kind of make sure students can write, they can create. All of these pieces and parts, because we can do a live classroom where I'm having you, let's say, Daniel, you're my student in high school. I can say, Daniel, right in front of me without any technology involved, you know, good old paper and pen, start to handwrite and construct paragraphs. But when we're talking about, you know, online students, whether it be K-12 or K-16, we don't Excuse me. Go ahead and
0: talk, Daniel. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, please get, get some <laughs> water here. Um, with what you with what you just said, what what's what's kind of sparking for me here is um, knowing that it appears mm-hmm. that you know Gen Z in particular, and you know Gen Alpha, if you will, or mm-hmm. you know the the generation after them, they seem to be just so adept at technology in a way that other generations, Millennials, even we were kind of transitioning into it, and prior generations had their different forms of technology, but nowhere near as like fast paced and rapid is what we have now with ai and these other things and now it appears that like as you're saying there's these studies out here that show that fundamentally the demand for the educational experience compared to like what it is designed now is like students want something different right they want something that is Me remote too. they want something that's more hyper personalized uh in the prior episode i did with uh dr mcgee she had also mentioned that like even in the, in the, in Star Trek that she had watched, like the way that they had defined education there was everybody had these like little robotic masks, kind of like these like Oculus or these like things that we would see for the Facebook or the Apple mask. And education was so individualistic. I'm curious for you, um, you know, thinking about the fact that it appears that this generation, they want some of those elements. Like, how do we, how do we give them that and redefine education? But do we also still feel like social emotional skills that have allowed our allowed humanity to be successful up to this point, right? Things such as teamwork, collaboration, uh, having difficult conversations, disagreeing, and just like sitting in that. Is there still a place for those types of things in this new education? And what does that look like in a world where everybody has their own face mask and does education in their room?
1: Yeah, I mean, here we are. I love VR and metaverse and all of those ways I have every headset made. I it, I just see there's a great opportunity there. And now that we can make these graphically created worlds using some tools like Dali and ChatGPT image and Bing image creator, we're going to be able to, to create these environments where students can have more scenario based. I think we've got to take this come to Jesus moment, come to Allah, whatever you are. We have to take this moment and say, okay, present education is it's not going to be sustainable for example most of our forms of assessment multiple choice fill in the blank writing papers well is that the best way that's the ways we had in the past but now we know that chat gpt has already passed the bar exam hey it passed the solmonier exam in california ah uh, that's pretty tough so if it's able to do these things i think we need to shift the way that education looks maybe using the metaverse maybe using all these pieces and parts to make it scenario based and that's easy to say but what does that mean when it hits the ground for example let's say i am teaching an environmental studies class maybe to 10th graders well if i'm teaching environmental studies instead of just having students you know define some terms let's face it chat gpt does that very well or write a paper on something you've learned, hmm, another problem. I think we should now take it to where we make students inventors, creators, and take that kind of makerspace thought from 2015 and pull it into this modern space. If I want to teach environmental studies, I could then give them an assignment that we work together, constantly interviewing the students, finding out where they're at. What are they learning, learning from each other, where they would maybe create a law after talking to some community members, emailing some of the folks who work in our city councils, and finding out what's needed in our community. How would we go about it? Maybe making a law, making different opportunities. We need to make assessment where it is all hands on deck creating something. Um, It's got to change, and we can use these tools. For example, um, Microsoft's coming out in the next month with something called CoPilot. And what Microsoft CoPilot can do is, let's say I'm in PowerPoint, I can now tell it, can you make 10 slides on the environmental impact of clean water in a community uh, in, let's say, oh, we'll go with in Kenya and the changes to the community environment. And it will create chat-created images from the text that you've provided. In other words, we don't need copyright of those images because it's creating those images based on our textual prompts. And then it's creating slides that we could use, but of course, customize to our findings. I think instead of spending all the time mastering the technology, technology is just going to you know, be... Our pen and paper of yesterday. I think we need to work on critical thinking, uh, new ways to push along education.
0: Yeah, I think I think that resonates a lot with me too. I know that um, you know what I've described over the course of just my experiences in the last few uh, episodes, and I'm actually very curious to hear your perspective on this as somebody who uh, sits in CTE in a like a specific vocation here. Is, what I've observed over the last maybe eight years of my career is that there appears to be a a little bit of a tension that's developing between like a lot of school districts choosing to create these like very specialized experiences for students, such as CTE programs, early college programs, right. And like really encouraging students earlier on to like lean into something very specialized, go deep into that. And like really just like see all of the nuance that exists within that, which again, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, but then there now appears to be this like need, something that other places seem to be doing and some some other places don't feel as strongly about of this more like liberal arts experience right this experience where you're kind of a generalist across many different content you're able to draw connections and um, experiences across many different subjects and then apply those in a way to like solve complex in the problems in the world in this like future world that you're describing uh how do you think we kind of balance the need to have both of these things the specialization and also this like generalist approach?
1: yeah that's a great question. I think we're always fine tuning what that's looking like. Let me give you kind of an out of country experience and tie it back in um I'm h- helping right now with um the Middle East and in the g c c uh Dubai and Oman and u a e and all these different Egypt and so forth right now there are um you know only about uh twenty years left till the oil supply is over there and Up to now, they've always had a generalist and you would just, you know, take education, no career technical education, not much, if any. And then everyone, you know, really, uh, they did pretty well with oil. (laughs) And um, so, you know, getting a job that you had to have a lot of specialized training, you could get it at the, you know, at work once you went into certain fields. Well, now things are getting so specialized and they're losing their oil They're now having to go back and create an entire career technical education because they've never had to worry about that type of thing. You say, well, who were their plumbers? They could hire people from other countries who would come in to do that type of work. Well, now, if you kind of mirror what's happening right here in the States and in Canada, you know, we've always uh, had fields like in career technical education. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're going into agricultural education. You want to make sure, you know, students could in grades 11, 12, start really kind of diving into that because they might have a terminating degree in high school or they would go on to college and they would have now the background so that they could do the deep dive. There's so much to learn in some of these pursuits For example, if you're going into um, something to do with AI, nowadays you have to have so much of a background that, you know, it's hard to do it in a two year, four year degree, all of this information. So we're teaching students to code in fourth and fifth grade and to kind of getting them ready for the new pieces that they're going to need in this environment. I think we need to take a broad look, just like the GCC. Um, in the Gulf is looking at their educational program. we need to kind of look at ours. we've structured our general knowledge, our you know math history science I, I and I see all of those as very important, but we have structured it throughout the years to kind of be this memorization of facts that we kind of should be able to spit out at any moment. but now is that as important um, We still want to understand that, but I think it would be much more interesting in education to use these tools to figure out something like World War II. It took six, seven years to, you know, World War II to have that terrible thing happen where we lost over 6 million lives in Europe and beyond. Why not start looking at it instead of teaching just the facts of you know, when was D-Day on June 6th? When was all of these different factual pieces? How could we have stopped that war in just two years? What could we have done differently? So I think if this gives us a, a laydown of the initial facts, let's now look at critical thinking and project-based learning so that we can structure education on any topic with trying to see things differently. And now taking that deep dive into career and technical education, I'm still a proponent that we need that. It's just nowadays, we're gonna need people to be more hands-on out there in the world. Let's face it, um, AI is not gonna exactly do plumbing in when my toilet is upset or you know, run wire through my home. Uh, We're going to definitely need those more hands on skills, but we need to take a global look and a North American look of where jobs are shifting. I don't think we're going to need as many customer service people when it comes to calling, you know, tech support. I think it's going to be chatbot based. I don't know if we're going to need as many lawyers. Don't throw things at me. Um, But I don't think we will because I can now create. Well, a rental contract or a will, using chat GPT, even meeting my state requirements, I'm still going to need two witnesses, Daniel. So call me later.
0: <laughs> no, I totally hear you there. So it sounds like in your world of, you know, in, in, in a world of AI, what I really heard you say is it sounds like ideally we are driving towards a direction where there's just increased ownership from students around their educational experience, right? This like K to 12 experiences, we've designed it where students are kind of receiving this six period a day, you know, going from A, B, C, D experience, uh, you know, with the preset curriculum, preset topics, preset outcomes, uh, having these tools allow us to ideally enter that space with a little bit more ownership over potentially even our own curiosity, right? To be able to lean into questions that you described, like what are some of the causes of World War II? And like thinking about that today, how could we actually have mitigated that and really treating AI tools? as not just something that can help to reduce the bandwidth on mundane tasks, but I think something you and I have also uh, alluded to in you know our conversation here around the UK is uh, AI is actually a, a really helpful thought partner. And and, and like a, a a piece of technology you can provide within a conversation amongst a group of people to contribute to that conversation, contribute to the exchange and to the dialogue into. And, and what that still requires though is users who know how to like critically interrogate the information that they're receiving, critically respond to that and be able to ask questions that are going to drive towards whatever outcome they want and as you've described that is only getting more complex in the world that we live in today uh to actually maybe scare, uh, circle back to something a little bit you in some of your talks before have described that you believe that like we have entered what you have described as like the cyber or physical age. I'm just curious like what that means and how you think the, either the educational experience or the skills we have, we need uh, might be different in, the, in this age based on, based on prior ages. What is that?
1: Yeah, cyber-physical is now stating that um, we're still going to need the hands-on skills, let's say CTE comes up with, but we're now seeing technology infusing in every pathway. I had a student come into a high school when I was teaching that day saying, you know, I'm never going to need technology. I'm going to go and drive a trash truck just like my dad does. And I said, you know, that's a great job. They probably make more money than I do as an educator. <laughs> I have no problem in that. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure how technology would change that. Well, a couple of weeks went by and he came in and he said, you know, I really starting to need to pay attention to what you're teaching about tech. I said, I, what's the change? He said, you know, they just put a computer on my dad's trash truck. That actually indicates exactly what GPS locations, where they are, how many minutes will it will be to get to, let's say, you know, the lady who just called and complains house. Um, and also what my capacity of the trash truck is. When do I need to go back? What is the fastest route? Everything's changing with AI on a trash truck. So I think what we're starting to see is if a company, any kind of business, any kind of organization, nonprofits, anything, to stay competitive, to stay cutting edge, they're going to need to take all of these tools we've been talking about and use them as stepping stones to quickly move forward. We're seeing, for example, um, I used to make a lot of restaurant reservations as I traveled just because I would Take some friends out when I was in different cities, and I would use, you know, Open Table or whatever you happen to use to make reservations. Well, now Open Table on my phone has kind of taken over now with Chat GPT. It's powered, and it now, as I drive by my favorite restaurants like sushi, it's in Corinne. You know what? You'd really like that sushi restaurant that you just passed on the right. Now I shouldn't be looking at this while I'm driving, so I'm going to pretend I'm in an Uber, but. We're going to see, no matter what an app does, what a business does, find new ways. I can actually ask Chat GPT to come up with a marketing campaign and a, you know, a tweet for Twitter or for my Insta, any of these pieces um, to do things like that to leverage items. So when we say cyber physical, we're seeing it sprinkled in every pursuit. We need to make sure. That as we teach, we're doing that same parallel. Uh, technology shouldn't just arrive the day we graduate and head on to that new job. Technology needs to be integrated in everything that we do, and it's not the all that. It's just a tool on the side. And I'm saying that as a tech person who loves to code. Now I can, you know, get uh, if I need Python code or Java code, I can have ChatGPT create that. Mm -hmm. So I now need to get students to, you know, cross-reference the multiple sources. When they get something in ChatGPT, was that reliable? Is that biased? Um, We need to start getting them to make sure that they have fact-checking tools. Uh, Believe me, this is not perfect. I don't care if we're talking about ChatGPT 3.5 or 4. This is something where... The human intelligence is going to be needed to make sure we have that to apply critical thinking skills to assess any information logically, uh, consider the credibility of the source, potential biases, any conflicting evidence. So we're really um, going to need students not just to churn out. And if if any teacher looks at what they assign, you know, any given week. Can it just be churned out? Or does it take human thought and expertise and multiple structures? If it doesn't, back to my student, remember? She said all the other classes she could finish in five minutes. That's not learning. We need to make sure we create a layered approach using technology, to, but really to get students to be able to do scenario-based learning where they're getting something out of it. With my IT students, I'm actually, who are fully online, I'm now meeting with them online, (laughs) but they have to talk to me about what they've learned. Uh, Give me evidence of what, when they were posting in that chat, that they understand what they've written. (laughs) Uh, I think it's going to have to have more humanity than ever, Daniel.
0: Yeah. To your point and what I heard you uh, kind of saying towards the end there, just being able to redefine how we do evaluation and really emphasizing more formative assessments, right? How students got there versus those summative assessments. And it can be tough. I mean, I know I was I was an ELA teacher for a few years and obviously I, I've helped students for many years get accepted to college. And so much of the way the system is designed is based on when there's an assignment, there needs to be a rubric or there needs to be an evaluation. Everything has to be very codified and uh, very black and white, right? A plus B always has to equal C. And uh, there can be a, a fundamental tension between the way that a lot of us have been trained to think versus what that may call for in a world with AI where in in, in seconds now, it, it uproots that entire way of thinking because if a if a chatbot can now formulate an essay in seconds and it can pass your rubric in seconds, it doesn't actually really showcase any type of learning with students like now, now what, right? As you've described, now what, how do we ensure that actual learning still happens? Um you have talked quite a bit over the course of our conversation here about the future of work. You've mentioned that you see AI potentially disrupting things such as some service-based industries, disrupting potentially the legal field, some of these other things. The fact that it can generate code instantly potentially disrupts there. So that's like some of the ways that it causes some disruptions in terms of a loss potentially of roles. Do you see it creating any type of new opportunities for folks out there? Like if they want it to be on the cutting edge, they like AI. Um, what What types of things are you already seeing in terms of like fields or vocations or like potential industries that don't even currently exist or just starting to pop up based on AI?
1: Oh, I think the, um, yes, we're going to lose certain fields, but I actually believe we're going to actually have a lot more opportunities and jobs for those who know how to utilize these new tools. Um, For example, what we're seeing recently is um, working with, for example, Khan Academy is an example. Khan Academy, we all know what that does. A student can go get, you know, a lesson on fractions or whatever they're trying to learn. But now it can provide that personalized. There, it's called Khanmigo, m-i-g-o M-I-G-O.com. Um, com. Khanmigo is coming out, and its premise and think of this a hundred times over in different industries is going to personalize. Where is a student at? If you teach 30 students in a classroom, they're at 30 different levels. Right now, at best, we kind of, you know, throw a dart in the middle and kind of target and hope we're kind of meeting the needs of some of our students. But let's Mm -hmm. face it, you know, with varying, with after COVID, everything else, we're really just throwing a dart. How about if a student can be, you know, assessed at the very granular level? Find out where their missing information is. And like Conmigo can now, you know, create a profile that, you know, fills in those missing blanks. How awesome is that? Because let's face it, as teachers, we can't do 30 custom lesson plans. But think of that in every possible field. Let's think medical. Now, when I go to the doctors, instead of, you know, following, you know, the American Medical Association that I'm supposed to get a colonoscopy, at let's say 45 years old if i meet this criteria how about if i plug in my whole family history i plug in yeah i had measles when i was 12 and um i walk this many steps a day and i eat this kind of diet how about if it would customize exactly my medical profile to keep me healthier what does my dna say that i maybe have special you know propensities toward so I think we're going to see customized medicine. I think we're going to see customize everything. Um, you know, no matter, think of everything you do today. How about if you could now, um, I, in Europe, I just came across, there's these new robots that can cook tens of thousands of recipes, but only cost a couple hundred dollars. You come wow. home literally and you kind of pour in whatever you're in the mood for, and it cooks something for you. Wow. (laughs) Sign me up for that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, think of the opportunity to create new products. I want to challenge our audience. I want you for the next week to look at everything you happen to do, drive, ride public transit, uh, go to the doctors, whatever it is, and think how could this be a better, more customized, more personalized assistive experience for me. And I I think that's what's really going to change. Uh, Right now, let's say you're a vegan. Boy, it's tough to eat a meal because you're not sure what's going to be on that menu or cross-contamination. How about if we can have a customized dining experience? I mean, I just think those who are creative right now and use the tools that we have, my goodness, we always say the sky's the limit. I think the orbit's the limit, Daniel.
0: Yeah. Well, to your point, if I'm if I'm also leaning into your challenge and seeking to answer the question with what I've learned, I believe that in the next couple of years here, we're gonna see the rise of a, an AI music producer industry. That's what yeah. I think is gonna be there. Just because of the fact that as you've probably seen, there's just so many AI generated songs of famous artists right now, and a lot of them are really good and they actually sound just like them. And I think if the industry yeah. can overcome some of the, the copyright hurdles and some of those things coming up, and if and if artists and Folks using these AI tools can find some kind of agreement where there's some revenue sharing or whatever that works. There's going to, I think there's going to be a lot of very talented people who may not be able to sing or play an instrument, but can, you know, use these AI tools very well and have that kind of musical spark in them and can compile these songs Mm -hmm. that are going to do very well with, with based on some of the songs I've heard. I think they've been great.
1: (laughs) But let me close on something you just said. I love art. I mean, I have drugged my family against their will to almost every art museum in the world. And maybe that's why I write books and speak, is just to feed my art habit, just to travel and see Mm -hmm. more art museums. But what I love about art is that inspiration, that humanity. What was going on politically in 1650? Who knows? But art tells that story. Yeah, I can now create any artistic work, even in the style of Picasso. And I kind of, yeah, that worries me. Because I still want to see human inspiration. So I think if you're overwhelmed right now at how do I make the change, I think we go into our classrooms immediately this fall and start to have the conversation of ethics, responsibility, inspiration, and and most of all, humanity. I think no matter where this goes, um, we need to keep in line that these tools can help us live life better. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of disruption. And yes, as educators, we better start changing how we assess students, how we even teach students to use ChatGPT responsibly. Because again, if they rely on it way too much, do you really want a doctor out there that got their degree? Well, because ChatGPT wrote that paper for them. Well, I hope not. So Daniel, I want to thank you for this opportunity, and I'm sure you'll share my information with anyone. I'd love to assist and continue the conversation. If you need someone at your schools to have this, I do keynoting all the time. And well, right now I've actually got to hop to El Paso to present uh, tomorrow. So Daniel, thanks for this opportunity. What are your last thoughts?
0: Corinne, no, I I just appreciate your perspective so much, and thanks for for coming on and sharing what you've learned. And I do hope that uh, folks will take you up on that offer to kind of explore your websites, uh, support uh, some of the amazing content that you're also putting out there related to uh, AI. If you also have any links, I'll be uh, sure to include those in our show notes as well. So people can see some of the lectures that you've done around this topic. But again, thanks so much for your time. And just excited to see uh, conversations and developments that you continue to have as you continue to also have conversations with folks over the next few months here thanks for listening to the ai education conversation give a follow rate and review wherever you listen for all show notes and to share your thoughts on today's episode check out the ai ed convo on twitter see you next time